Morning, Mike. Good morning, Richmond. How are you choosing to feel today? <laughs> I'm choosing to feel excellent, and I'm copying what you've just said. I see. So that's superb. So to be able to, what I always learned about was, you know, it's about being um, encouraging, effective, and helping people to achieve excellence. One of the that's, of that's exactly what I want to drill into to today with with you. So, I mean, just just briefly for for listeners who who will now know that this is called the uh, the Positive Encouragers podcast, and um, that that title has really come from from you, Mike. And and I asked you whether it was okay to to use it because, um, and, and you came up with a classic Mike Peg answer. I don't know if you remember what it was. Well, it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you are the inspiration behind this. Um, and but, but it's much more than that. You know, you, you've had a profound effect on, on me and, and the work that I do. Um, and so, you know, to have you as a guest is, is fantastic. And I'm very excited this this conversation. We've had many chats before. Um, and I just wanted to explore a bit about you and your approach and, and why. And, and I know that in that, you know, you'll be offering lots of tools and, and practical tips for, for people because that's that's basically what you what you do. And and I just wanted to start really by saying that when when we had that first lockdown, which, which sort of seems a while ago now, um, one of the first things that the, the first thing you did was really to to offer a handout to people. That, that seemed to be your first response. Why, why was that your first response? Oh, well, it's something I've always learned that the whole idea is we're here to serve people and give to them um, and to be encouragers. And so the basic thing is that, you know, if you look at the whole idea of helping people, I mean, the encouragement theme came for me many years ago when I started working with people and I went to see many sages and I said, what's helped you to grow most in your life? And virtually all of them said, I had somebody who encouraged me. I had somebody who made me feel the center of the world. And I think, for example, the people who watch your podcast, if they think back, there might've been one teacher who for 10 seconds in that 10 years at school <laughs> made them feel the center of the world. And that's what I learned much later on with, with mentors. Mentors provide a stimulating sanctuary in which people can feel at ease and able to explore. And then mentors listen about what the person wants to explore, find out the results they want to achieve. And then says, so to okay, share some ideas and then they share ideas and see what resonates. But the basic idea is to just give because for most of us, if we're fortunate, we're given lots of things in our life. We're given love, encouragement, support, knowledge is passed on to us. So it just makes sense to pass that on to other people to help them achieve their picture of success. And what I found is in, in the lockdown is a, a, a kind of approach that's worked many, many times is so, for example, I remember in, in the 2008 recession, um, what happened there was lots of people, for example, who were in doing coaching, mentoring, that kind of thing, suddenly find that their order books had gone completely. And so there was a scratching around. But my response was just go out and give to people. Just plant seeds, you know, if you, uh, the thing is, you, you really have to create the fertile ground and plant seeds so it can help so people can be helped to grow in their way. So it's just very natural because I've been given so much in my life. It's just quite natural to pass it on. So that was the reason why I just went out and tried to give to the people, which is just the basic thing to try to do. Yeah. And, and how did people respond? Um, they respond very well in the sense of, but it's also bear in mind I'm very fortunate because most of the people I work, I've worked with in the last 50 years have been... Uh, certain kinds of people. Uh, I learned very early on that there was only certain kinds of people who I could work well with, and they tend to be pioneers. They tend to be people who are making the new rules for the world. And they might be called peak performers, they might be called pioneers, they might be called pace setters. But essentially, it was people who had a very wide view of life and were prepared to learn from psychology, from literature, from business, from sport. And they, they always hooked onto the themes so of, of how do you actually succeed? And so most of my background working with people was about studying what worked. 
And, and so in the early days running therapeutic communities, it was to visit therapeutic communities that worked, not those that failed, <laughs> and see what they did right. So it was always, again, looking at that. Because I was very fortunate because I was no good at school and left at 15 and worked in a factory for six years and was able to sort of rejoin that time and, and, and learn and watching sport and things. And it was always about watching sport, you know, what is working? <laughs> what are people doing right? What's the, what's the principles they're following? How can actually pass those principles on to other people so they can sort of follow them in their way? And then eventually I managed to get out of the factory, did some work in office, but then fortunately met Alec Dixon, who was the founder of Voluntary Service Overseas and Community Service Volunteers. And he was wonderful. And he kind of, in a sense, um, took me over and adopted me, gave me lots of opportunities. And Alec always said, you know, you know, the classic thing, you're most yourself when you forget yourself. And we're here to give. And it's in the giving that we receive a lot and we learn and we blossom and grow. And, and so on. So it was to try to study what worked and share what worked in a way so as people could use that to achieve their picture of success. And I've been fortunate to be able to do that for about the last 50 years or so. Yeah. It, it sounds so obvious, doesn't it, in a way that, that think about what you can do rather than what you can't, focus on what you do want rather than what you don't want. But, but a lot of people seem to get stuck in, in focusing on what they don't want. Um, or, or when presented with, with, you know, this is this is what works, keep defaulting to to something else. Well, why do you think that is? Well, I think it depends on which kind of universe you grow up in. Um, I mean, I was very fortunate because I was adopted by wonderful parents and they never put any pressure on me. So I could stay home rather than go to school. I could learn, uh, read, travel travel watching football matches around the country from the age of nine. First time I went to London by myself was when I was 11 and that kind of thing. So it was just to explore and in exploring, I mean, today they always talk about, you know, these four C's of the 21st century skills of, you know, critical thinking, creativity, collaboration and communication as though they had 21st century skills, but they're eternal skills that all kids use when they follow their hobbies. Yeah. And I was fortunate to be able to learn those very early on, navigating my way around uh, the UK to watch football matches, but also navigating my way around the reference library. I used to go down to the reference library in Derby, where I grew up, and just spend hours there just trying to look at different things and seeing patterns in different fields. And, and, and the very holistic view, because everything was connected. It was, you know, systems thinking is about how things are connected and how things can connect to create harmony uh, and create beauty and create success. So I was very fortunate to be able to learn about that kind of thing. And then, yeah, I spent the six years in the factory and managed to get out of it with the help of a teacher who said, well, actually, maybe you're in the wrong place and can I help you? Uh, and so I, I, it, I, it took a few years to get out. I was working nights for a couple of years, but then got out and then started to work with mentally handicapped kids and so on, and then running therapeutic communities. But all the time, my teachers said, look, we haven't got time to study what fails. If you want to do that, get a PhD in it. But if you want to help people, focus on what works. It's very simple. Yeah? Um, so, for example, you know, the, we talk about, and I know you're interested in sport, and you know, I know you're a Liverpool supporter and all those kind of things. Uh, what's an interesting one was for me was, uh, of course, I grew up in Derby, and the, the famous Brian Clough was there uh, at Derby at the time. And he had a basic thing. When I look at a player, I look at what they can do rather than what they can't do. And I try to actually build a team based around what people can do, because it's the most obvious thing in the world. And then when uh, when I started to look, work with the sages and stuff, who, who were brilliant with young people, they 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 pointed this out to me. He said, he said "Look, most kids who are no good at school, they're different, yes, and so on. But those who get on, whether it's with the other, whether it's dyslexia, whether it's some other thing, is they've all had supportive parents." They've had supportive parents who focused on what the kid could do. Okay, maybe you can't read, but I see that you're brilliant at selling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe you're not good at that, but I've seen you with friends and I've seen how you organise them in a crisis. Yeah, and you take the lead. I've seen you play sport and actually when <clears throat> your team's 3-0 down, you're the one who's leading the charge. Come on. So you've got this fighting spirit. So 
what they talked about was the crucial thing is always to see, look for the positive spirit in people. And that's what I did. So one of my great mentors was a guy called George Lywood, who ran a fantastic place called Finchton Manor for disturbed boys. Um, and you know, people like Tom Robinson went there, the, the musician and so on. And I, George invited me down and he said, it's so remarkable. You know, when I get loads of uh, social workers come here and they say, what's your secret, Mr. Lywood? Because your staff, they don't seem to be doing anything. You know, the boys are drinking from know, jam jars, playing football, playing guitar, building things. And the staff just seem to be watching. And he says, absolutely, you've got it perfectly. It's the hardest thing in the world to watch, for watch when the child comes alive, when they go into that state where they forget themselves. And it, it's to enable them to follow that more and more and more and more. Uh, and then, you know, because in those moments of a sense of wonder, they're discovering the world and they're getting sort of our yeses and then they come back and apply it. So that's what we do, we facilitate that. So it's always about looking for the positive spirit in people. And that's what it, so for example, when I was running therapeutic communities for kids, uh, I mean, you get a 14 year old turn up at the door, uh, Sue, for example, I'd say, welcome Sue, I believe you can choose to be creative and responsible and help people if you want, is that right? And they said, well, but I thought I was supposed to tell my sob story. <laughs> we can help you to achieve your goals, providing you build on your strengths. Oh, but I'm, oh, no, I'm not so sure about it. I said, fine, reapply in two months. No, it's not a problem. <laughs> because it's always looking for the positive energy in the person and looking for when they actually go into that state and come alive. So uh, it sounds very new age, but in a sense, it's, it's quite simple. Yeah. We all know those golden moments when we watch a kid come alive. We all see a person going to a totally different state. And then, for example, when I was teaching family therapy, you'd always start by asking the couple, when did you meet? Who made the first move? What did it feel like? What was it like on the first date? How did you encourage each other? What did you do right then? How can you do that more? So it was always building on humanity at its best. And then what did they do right then? And how could they actually uh, follow those principles? Because it, it's not good enough to just say, you did that well. It's what was the actual principle you followed and how did you translate it into action? And that's the difference I found with all peak performers. They all went through this stage of awareness, application and achievement. Awareness, you know, the therapy world was full of people who were awareness junkies. They were going to more and more kind of uh, workshops whatever but they didn't go to the next stage which is application and then achievement and it's very simple awareness application achievement uh, 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 and, so, and then repeat the cycle that kind of thing so that's what I was taught and that's what it, but it was always based on what worked I mean going around the therapeutic community at that time in the late 60s there were masses of therapeutic communities there was the Henderson hospital there were the Phoenix houses there were uh, programs for drug addicts, these kind of things. But the essential thing was to recognize that all human beings, in, like in addiction programs, all human beings are addicts. It's a question of actually, can they choose to have positive addictions rather than negative addictions? And so therefore, you know, they might have positive scripting. I can do it. Somebody might say, well, I'm negative scripting. I choose not to do it or I can't do it. But so it's a question of how, how to put, channel that energy in a way that gets positive results for yourself, but also more importantly for other people. And that's what I learned very early on. So it's just having those eyes to see when people came alive and build on it. It, it sounds like that you have this sort of natural tendency, you know, that, that way to, to see the positive. Do you, do you think it is a natural thing or do you think you pick that up somehow? Did you, did you learn it? Well, I chose to do it. I, I think that because, you know, I had a very happy childhood, I could do what I wanted. Uh, you know, but then spending, <laughs> as you know, if, uh, for anybody who's done a, a pretty awful job, it, it, you know, it, it gets at you. Yeah. Uh, and so, so therefore, it was about actually um, uh, changing my programming. Uh, and I made a decision after a bit of feedback from somebody who said, you know, that, look, I know you it was, I mean, I've got the first Bob Dylan LP, uh, you know, and uh, his first one. And, and then he obviously saw everything that was wrong with the world, just the protest. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, you know, the people say, oh, I see what's wrong with the world. And then somebody told me, yeah, everybody knows what's wrong with the world. 
tell me what's right and how to succeed. So then I decided to reprogram myself. I used to carry a book around and, and look at what people did right. So I'd be standing, uh, sitting on the, the top deck of a bus in Derby, writing down, looking at people and how they moved and what they did right and how they greeted each other, that kind of thing. Uh, to just begin to have positive eyes rather than negative eyes. Uh, but it was a choice because actually uh, I didn't particularly want the consequence of, 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 of becoming cynical or choosing to become cynical. I'd say, you know, you, we know people go through these three sort of stages. They essentially, they go through the stage of being protesters, then problem solving, and, the, and then positive contributors. And, uh, you know, protest is great, but then you have to be a positive solution person and then a, a, a positive contributor. So I think it was, um, it was being able to go through those phases fairly early on. And because I had fantastic models who encouraged me to do it and it gave me opportunities, you know, it's very, it's very seldom that, you know, you, you, somebody comes along to you at the age of, say, 22 and say, hey, uh, here's a, a therapeutic community, uh, you know, of 16 kids. Uh, you're in charge. <laughs> well, I was a bit older, maybe 23. Yeah. But, you know, it, it was wonderful, yeah, to be given that opportunity because you have the opportunity to create a kind of environment in which people can blossom and grow. But it, it's also very, very clear because uh, it was always about making the professional deal clear. And you know from this, you know, as a professional, you say, okay, you listen to a person, then you make the deal clean and say, well, what I can do is I can help you to do that, that, and that. By the way, my part is this. Your part, if you choose to do it, is this. Is this something you want to do? Hmm? And it's never about trying to convince the person. <laughs> it's about saying, okay, I've listened to you. I've looked at you. I, I can practice the second empathy rather than the first empathy. Your first empathy is with the person's actual situation. The second empathy is with the person's aspirations. It's seeing what that person could do and because you've seen evidence that they could do it for 10 seconds and maybe they can do it more in the future. And painting that picture of success and say, is this something you want? But they have to feel in their gut, A, that they believe they can do it, and, and B, that they're prepared to put in the work. And then C, then you can help them to do it. So it was always the thing of watching a person in action and saying, well, actually, you could become this if you want. Yeah? And here's the reason why. For example, you've done that, 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 and that. Yeah? And so, um, uh, so when, for example, with the kids, it was a lot of them got into trouble with the police and stuff like that. And it because they hadn't learned how to manage their feelings in a way that helped themselves and others. They managed their feelings in a way that helped themselves very briefly, but hurt others and then landed them in trouble. And so therefore you say, well, actually, do you want to stay out of prison? <laughs> if you do, I can help, yeah? But what it means is that when this feeling comes up, by time, and I can give you a tool for being able to manage that in a positive way. So, so for example, I said, you know, the, you might say, look, when you, I saw you in the, in the kitchen the other day, you sat down, listened to this person, offered them a cup of tea, and was there and, and reflected back. You were doing things right then. How did that feel? Yeah. I mean, the rest of the time, you might be terrible. <laughs> but actually, for that 10 seconds, you were great. <laughs> do you want to do that more? How did it feel? Because, you know, it's always about people buying success. The old thing, people buy benefits. And it's the same with emotions. You know, how do you want to feel in the long run? Yeah? And, and to do that, there's choices and consequences. You always have a choice and there are always consequences. There's no good or bad options. It's just there are pluses and minuses. So it's the choice. So which set of consequences do you want? Yeah. And it's a very simple one. So it's always about the consequences. I mean, very later on, you know, when I got, I used to work when working companies and I get this brilliant charismatic person come to me who, who I'd been sent or whatever. I don't normally see people who get sent, but they, I said, well, from what I hear, you're a brilliant salesperson and brilliant with clients, but you upset your colleagues. It seems to me you have a choice. You can either be inspiring or intimidating. Which route do you want to go? Let me know. Yeah? I'm not going to try and convince you. 
Because if I, you have tremendous, because the same skills you use when you're selling, I, my guess is that you rehearse what you're going to do. You think about the person and their world, the challenges they face. You rehearse how you can get the meeting right. You rehearse how you can actually make them feel the center of the world. And then you rehearse how, what knowledge do I have that I can pass on to help them succeed, et cetera, et cetera. And you rehearse what's the actual words and what the person's saying afterwards. And how can I do my best to achieve that? Is that right? I said, well, yeah, I'll do something like that. Fine. So you've got all the skills. It's just a question of you choosing to use them with your colleagues. Yeah? But that's up to you. I can't force you to do that. Because I know the reason why is because you get impatient. Yeah, But actually, if you ever want to make sales director, because you always get a job as a salesperson, if you want to make sales director and lead people, that's the skill that you can add expanding your repertoire. You've already got it. <laughs> you don't have to change. <laughs> it's a question of choices and consequences. And say, so, well, take five minutes, have a cup of coffee and, tell, and get back to me if you want to. Yeah, it's up to you. And then we'll look at how you can do that. You know? So it's the old kind of, uh, the old story about um, Cristiano Ronaldo at uh, Manchester United when he was 19 and one, one coach who was going to see him for the first time said, what on earth do I say to Cristiano? Uh, how do I get him and do stoppy stepovers and all that kind of thing? Oh, I know. I go to him and say, Cristiano, I believe you can be the best in the world because you do this, this and this. Great, yeah, okay. If you're interested, I've got some ideas you could add to your repertoire. Would you be interested? Of course I'd be interested. <laughs> so, you know, positioning is all, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Instead of so, going and telling him what, right, you know, this is, this is how we're doing it and, and this is what you can do, he, he gave him the choice. It's always about choice. It's always about choice. Um, you know, the, the other thing is that you were always taught that it's, it's, it's obviously the trusted advisor model. But the trusted advisor model is to share knowledge in a way so as people can share. It is not actually to sell. So to share knowledge in a way that people can succeed rather. It's not to sell. You know, we are here to serve. We are here to help others succeed. And it's actually listening. What do you want to achieve? What's your picture of success? All right, fine. It's always going strengths, strategies, and success. Those, that's what you learn very early on. Um, so when you're looking at, you know, for example, if you're looking at a kid who is brilliant with, um, for example, computers or something like that, uh, and so uh, you say, well, how can you actually do more of it? You know, how can we actually build on that? How do you want to? That sort of thing. It's not saying, well, actually, you have to do this thing that's useless, you know, that, because that kid's a pragmatist. They'll only learn if they can see the point of it. Yeah? So, but then you can start expanding their repertoire. But the key is to say, okay, what is a person's strengths? What is the strategies they can follow to achieve their picture of success? But it, you always do start actually with the picture of success. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's okay? What do you want to talk about? What okay? You can talk about any kind of challenges that you like, any kind of themes. It's up to you. So, for example, when you work, when I'm working with teams, we all know what great teams do. Are positive teams. We all know what great leaders do. They create a positive environment in which self-motivated people can achieve peak performance, um, which was something I learned by working with people in sports at sports universities in Scandinavia and so on. Uh, people have to have the will before they can learn the skill. Uh, so but you, what you do is you create the environment and you offer them and say, this is what's possible. <laughs> Looking at your, your talent, look, and I've seen you actually come alive for 10 seconds. I've seen you do something right there right? You could do this. Yeah. Now, and person says, yeah, but I want to talk about fails. I said, well, we can do that later. Yeah. It's not a problem. We can do it. But let's first of all talk about your champ rather than your chimp. Yeah. Uh, the times that you've succeeded in life. And let's expand it. And then if you want, then we can have a bit of indulgence and you can talk about your chimp as much as you want. But uh, well, for three seconds. <laughs> now we talk about the champ. <laughs> <laughs> What's the time you've succeeded in this challenge? <laughs> yeah. And so, um, but it's up to you. You can decide. <laughs> yeah. And it, what I, I, I found was particularly in the, um, uh, in the 70s, because I was uh, fortunate I did lots of work in England for, and worked with therapeutic communities. There's a TV program made about it and things like that because it's pioneering. Because I learned very early on that if you actually want to succeed, 
you have to show people an alternative system that's better rather than try to change the system. Because it's very early learn, I learned about systems theory. And so do not try to change a system and create a better one. Yeah, and that kind of thing. So I learned that. And then I was invited to do a lot of work in Scandinavia. And at the time, I, I, they said, come and do, teach about what you're doing in therapeutic communities and how you're helping young people and others to get on and coming to schools. I said, I'm prepared to do that, but actually I want to do strengths. Yeah. Uh, and said, so all right, fine, come into schools and help kids build on their strengths. But also then they did lots of open courses five days a week, uh, help from, with people from all walks of life to be able to look at what's your strengths and how can you do satisfying work that's of service to others in which, in which you feel successful. Uh, and so on. And that was interesting because, you know, a lot of people have strengths, but also they have to have savvy. They have to add savvy. Yeah, um, it's not just do what you love and the money will come. No, no, it's keep, do what you do the right things in the right way every day and maybe the money will come. But again, the, the, the main goal is to help others succeed. <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah, that's what we're here for. It's to help both present and future generations. You know, uh, you know we didn't choose to be born. Well, some people will say well, we're in an astral plane and we go down and that. All right, fine. Uh, but while we're here, <laughs> we're here to serve. <laughs> we're here to serve the spirit that gave us life for both present and future generations. But it's, it's not, you know, I, I, what's an interesting one is also knowing your target group. And I know lots of your listeners and, uh, and viewers will probably be in the people business and so on. What's crucial is to understand I'm, if you're working with people, yes, I want to offer these things to people because these are my strengths and this is how I can help them. But who actually, this is going to sound terribly hard, who's my target group? Yeah. Uh, who is my audience? Because there are certain people I'll be able to help because we, it, it works with them. Others I won't. And very early on, I found out that my, the people I worked best with were positive pe people who chose to be positive. Yeah. There's no point in, in trying to convert people who are choosing to be miserable every day. Huh? That was their choice. Now, I could offer them an option. You know, if you actually, if you look at, so for example, um, the work of Rick Snyder uh, on uh, way power and willpower. And the whole idea is saying, you know, that to, how do you get a sense of hope throughout the psychology of hope? And you get a person who's very, very positive and their willpower, uh, but then they feel depressed because they're facing a problem of some kind. And so, and they say, they get very depressed and say, well, this is not like me. Why is it? It's because their willpower to solve the problem is nine out of 10, but their way power, their ability to see a way to solve the problem is down at three out of 10. But then when they go for a walk and get the eureka moment, it goes to 10 out of 10 and suddenly the hope floods back. So as educators, what educators do is they try to help people, offer people tools to increase their way power. Uh, and, and their ability, their repertoire of options for achieving what they want to, what they have the will to do. And that's where the, the you, you invert the kind of old saying of where there's a will, there's a way, is where people can see a way, they're more likely to have a will. Mm. Yeah. But, and so I was influenced massively by great educators, a fantastic guy called Henry Pluckrose in the early 70s who ran Prior Western School in, in the Barbican in London, who's a wonderful humanistic person. And of course, all the great books on education, you know, uh, obviously the people like Montessori, Froebel, all these kind of people, John Dewey, uh, and so on. Uh, the, the humanistic approach to education and, and seeing it's about the person. And what, what gifts do they have and how can they use them to help both present and future generations? And so how can you give them some tools to increase their way power, that kind of thing? And it's the same with people. Do you think our education system at the moment offers that, delivers that? Are we talking about education system or are we talking about schooling? Are you talking about the, uh, the inspiration model or the industrial model? No. So, you know, the, the thing is that what we do is every kid, every person has got strengths and they've got a positive spirit and they have something special to give to the world. The whole point of education, as I see, 
is to help them to develop that spirit and those strengths, to look at how they want to serve and help both present and future generations. Um, that's the whole idea with education. I'll leave you to make your own judgments whether that's happening at the moment. Well, yeah, I, I suppose I've developed some fairly, you know, strong, strong views on education, having, you know, my own, my own kids and seeing what's, what's happening and uh, that generation and, and wondering if they're being prepared for, you know, the, the world or whether, as you say, it's this sort of this, this industrial model where it's just sort of churning things out, start at one end, go through a process, come out the other end. Yeah, well, of course, we all know that the, you know, the, 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 and there are so many people talk about it. Um, in the 60s, obviously, I read books with Ivan Illich, you know, de-schooling society and all those kind of things. But we can go on and on and on about how the so-called education system, that the main purpose of it is to destroy the kids' self-confidence and then the teachers' self-confidence so they'll just be actually loyal peasants who will be happy with any job. But there's no point in it. <laughs> What we have to do is look at what's the positive things that are happening. If you look at people like, for example, wonderful educators today, like Rob Berger, who, you know, who's the chief academic officer for what used to be called Expeditionary Learning, but it's now called EL Learning. You look at all the magnificent things that are happening uh, around the world, uh, of, of, you know, the Design for Change program uh, based in India, which has... Yeah, you know, 250,000 kids around the world take, uh, take, take part in this competition every year and where they actually, their model is we take kids and look, and it's always, they use the design model, which is feel, imagine, do and share. Feel there's something you want to do or change in the world, like you want to you make the river less polluted or you want to help your kids, your classmates get home safely from school. Uh, imagine, look around the world to see where there's best practice, do it and then share it through videos and best practice around the world. I could name probably a hundred of such initiatives that are happening uh, around the world uh, or through social enterprises, these kind of things. But essentially they are in the spirit of um, how do we, how do we help people to use their strengths to serve something greater than themselves and also have do satisfying work and have the life they want? Uh, that's it. It's about starting from the core of a person and then helping them to use that their talents to help others succeed. Uh, and to do that, you can offer them lots of ideas and tools, but it's up to them how they use them. That's the point with education. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's a couple of things that seem very important for your your approach. One is, uh, and there'll be others as well. One is great patience, um, and and the other to to set aside, dissolve whatever one's one's ego, because to continually see, you know, the spark, the strengths, the the possibilities in someone else, you, you know, you, they, they must be, certainly the ego has to be out of the way. There can't be any sense of me. Um, and, and to just particularly, you know, the examples you gave of, of youngsters that might for 10 seconds do something great, but the rest of the time do something else. Yeah, well, uh... It depends what you mean by patience. Um, uh, uh, okay. I'm patient with a person for 10 seconds. Uh, as, as I get older, my empathy is increased from nine seconds to 10 seconds. Uh, because so I say, essentially, look, <laughs> you can do this if you want to do it. <laughs> Come back when you do. Yeah? It's your choice. Yeah, because it's respecting their right to do what they want with their lives, as long as they don't particularly hurt other people. Uh, but uh, it's always saying, you know, that. but I've been very fortunate, you know, of course, I've always been able to create almost like an artistic studio, whether it was a course or a workshop or whatever it is. And say, uh, and so for example, when you're working, I work, I work a lot with people in business and stuff. And it's just making the rules clear to get up front and saying, look, 
as far as I understand it, you want to build a positive team that actually achieves peak performance. Is that right? Okay, fine. I can help you. Um, however, we're going to, I can give you some tools, but this is only going to work with people who are choosing to be positive and want to give and professional and want to give peak performance. That's all. Yeah. So if we're going to have a workshop, I only want those people. <laughs> I'm not going to actually going to spend time trying to commiserate with somebody who wants to stop uh, stop people performing well. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and so when you actually send the invite to people, yeah, say, actually, we're having this session, the basic guidelines are these. Yeah. And the reasons for the guidelines are these. So, because if you think about this, you know, because I, I have great teachers, if you go to a, if you want to go to a, a dancing class with a great master dancer, if you want to go to a great football team and play for them, uh, you know, that person in charge, the coach or the teacher will say, hey, guys and girls, <laughs> American all guys, right? This is what we're aiming to achieve. These are the principles we're going to follow to get there. Right. Like, yeah, you do your homework first. You're prepared. We start here, etc. You encourage each other to succeed, etc., etc. OK, now then think about it. Is this something you want to do? Now, would you like to go out of the door and only walk back in if you want to do this? <laughs> it's very simple. Yeah. And that's, that's what you do. That's what I did as a football coach, other things. You just say, you just do the physical thing and say, you start with the carrot. You don't start with the stick. This is it. Now, in order to get there, these are the professional principles you need to follow. My response, so I would say at the start of every workshop, as far as I understand it, what you want to do is to build a superb team in which you can use your strengths and achieve success. Is that right? Okay, fine, great. Now then, my responsibility is to provide you with tools that you can use to achieve that goal. It is to pass on models and knowledge that works, and it is to do this in a way to, to give examples that fit to your business. Your responsibility is to choose to be here to take the ideas you like and use them in your way and to encourage each other to, to actually do your best and succeed. And then afterwards, it's to use the ideas in your own way, okay? Now, that's the deal. Is that something you want to do? That's the contract. Now, if somebody says, <laughs> so fine, halfway through says, oh yeah, but that won't work because, okay, fine, right, okay, so, or that's because that department is doing, so, no, okay. What's the result you want to achieve here? How can we do our best to achieve that picture of success? Oh, but there's no, no, wait a minute. <laughs> do you want to succeed? <laughs> it's very simple. <laughs> yeah, we haven't got time for all that. Yeah? yeah. So, all right, fine. It doesn't mean to say that the person, people uh, lose their critical faculties. It's the very opposite. But we're going towards the goal. See, what many people, what many leaders have done is through the best of intentions, they've been mistaught. Their job is to create a positive environment in which motivated people can achieve peak performance. Their job is to keep communicating the purpose, the principles, and the picture of success. Their job is to communicate, this is the professional deal. This is the company's responsibility. This is the individual's responsibility. Is it something you want to, to contribute to? If so, right, come and look at how you can contribute to that because then your job is to look at the picture of success, how you can use your, 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 your strengths to deliver the scorecard plus do stimulating work and achieve the picture of success. It's to manage upwards because we're all self-employed. Now there are no jobs anymore, there are no projects. It's to actually achieve your goals. It's to help your colleagues and our customers and our company to achieve success. Is that something you want to do? If not, it's fine to get people to do it. It's not a problem. Yeah. It's not about saying, seeing, okay, there are 10 people who want to do it, but there is one person in the corner is moaning about it and they're talented. It's not my job. I'm not going to do a course for three weeks to do emotional intelligence to try to motivate this person who's, who's committed to having whinges in their life. No, it's not my job. <laughs> you made it very clear that this is, this is what you do and yeah. this is what you offer. And, and if that, one person, whether it be the, you know, the, the kid in the class who, who's, you know, behaves in a particular way that disrupts everything else, then that would be someone else's job to work out why and to address that and to hopefully lead them back to where they could then focus on the more positive things. No, 
Not at all. It's, it's, well, I, I will actually have a session. I have one-to-one sessions with people, yeah? Often before a, se- before a session, yeah? Before a, a workshop. I'll say, look, this is what we're going to do. This is where we're going. It's about you using your strengths to help to achieve that picture of success. Is that something you want to do? If you don't want to do it, that's fine. Just let me know. I also have the ability or, or the, the backing from the, the company to help you to look at, A, is there anywhere else that you can use your strengths to help this organization achieve success? Yeah. If there is great, we try to find a win-win. If there isn't, we look for a win-win. Yeah. But if you don't want to, if you, if you actually are not a mountain climber and don't want to climb a mountain, you'd sooner actually go snorkeling. We can look at that. But we're not going to start climbing the mountain and you talk about the joys of snorkeling. Yeah. <laughs> and why, why aren't they motivating you to climb a mountain when you really want to be snorkeling? Yeah. Our duty is to deliver the mission. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And my job, my with job is with a with a class of say 20, 30 kids. But the key is that is not education. That is input stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. You try to instill. You can't instill. It's to inspire. Yeah. So you have to have the human connection and meet people one to one. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. Yeah. Often, for example, some, or sometimes I get a, a VP or somebody or say, uh, a company will say, or, or a person will say, could you, uh, I have to be careful what I say here because some of you might recognize this. Um, but they say, they say, would you see my 16-year-old daughter or son? Because they're good, but they're not good at school and I'm worried they're not going to be able to So fine, are they willing to, do they want to see me? Yeah, well, I've talked about them. I've taught you as a peak performance coach, not a, a psychologist. I said, great, okay, fine, all right, I'll see them then. Yeah, they come along. I said, welcome. Now, this session is about how to manage your parents. <laughs> and they say, too right. <laughs> and we're off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, because it's about, I say, your parents are loving this means, but they live in a different century. <laughs> <laughs> so come on, yeah, we know you're good at this and good at this and good at this. So I so say, what are you interested in? Sometimes I say sport or, you know, I'm interested in plays or whatever it is, that kind of thing uh, and so on. Or I'm interested in fashion or whatever it is. Great. I'm interested in art. Great. What do you like about it? Yeah. Oh, well, I like this. And I really feel, okay, so would you like to learn how to do more of that? At some point, would you like to actually learn how maybe you could make money doing that? Yeah, but my parents say I have to do all this, 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 and this, and these subjects, which may prove useful one day. Fine. We have a choice here. Yeah? You have a choice. So you have three options. A, you can actually continue to cause problems to your parents. (laughs) And then et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and there's pluses to that, because at least you get some time with them. And you might get a school psychologist. Uh, And there are some minuses, because you have to find out more and more excuses to actually cause a problem. You can either be an A student and try to be a goody two-shoes and pass, and there are pluses to that, you know, but it's, unless you've got a good memory and photographic memory, you're in trouble, you know, uh, but there's minuses to it, yeah. Or the third option is you can actually get along at school, not cause any problems with anybody, but actually focus on what you're most interested in, and then you and I can look at how you can pursue that route in the future and maybe make a living doing it. Which of these three do you want? Here's the pen, A, B, C. Oh, they go, C, fine, great. Now, we can work on that. It's choices and consequences. <laughs> yeah. You, you make it very clear from the outset. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Because people want clarity. They want to know what the rules are. Yeah. And I think it's so, which I learned very much from systems theory. And um, like we're studying families, you know, uh, there was a wonderful, uh, I learned from one of the students who are a wonderful family therapist called Virginia Satir an American family therapist. And she used to teach systems theory because essentially the whole idea was that if a family had a problem, it's because there was pain in the family and they'd not learn, learn how to manage the pain so it was located in one scapegoat, that kind of thing. Yeah? And the scapegoat would get problems or whatever and so get labels and things. And so, so fine. But what she used to do was to teach them how to do the rules for building healthy families. She's into systems theory. And she said healthy families are ones where they're loving, kind, and they encourage people to be themselves as long as they don't hurt others, really. 
Yeah. It's about building on similarities, but also encouraging people to develop their differences, providing those differences didn't cause continual pain to other people. But what she used to do was she used to get the family together. And I, when I worked with families, we used to do this. And we get the whole family together. You know, there's the problem child. You know, so the problem child might be you know, somebody called Richmond. who was 14. It was starting uh, in, in using matches to light up the scientific lab and stuff like that. You know, so, and got, therefore got a label. And, uh, and then his psychologist said to him, Richmond, you can either be a delinquent or you can be a medic. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's your choice. You can either hurt people or help people. And so, but okay. And so, uh, but then they would send, and then you get mom, dad perfect child there and then Richmond and, and then somebody else who was the youngster. And then we'd start and start talking and say, Mum and Dad, when did you first met? So then we'll get on to Richmond in a minute. And then what would happen would be, you know, the mum and dad start talking and you'd be sitting there and the perfect child being watching. And then the distracting child in the corner would start playing around. Ah, bless him. They say, wait a minute. Okay, so let me just ask you, is this a rule in this family that when mum and dad try to talk together, somebody else distracts? What do you mean is a rule? Does it happen often? Well, actually it does. Well, how do you think it feels? What rule would you like to have? Would you like people to listen to each other? Ah, you would, okay. So that's one of the family rules we want. Let's go on to, so she'd actually teach about systems theory in terms of family rules. Uh, and so, and all systems have rules and uh, it's understanding what those rules are. Most of them aren't spoken about. And then understanding the consequences, but understanding the rules that will help people to succeed. So, for example, we know a basic rule. Let's just say if you take uh, the whole idea of mediation, I've done mediation a lot in my life and these kind of things. The basic rule is that, first of all, if people want to solve a problem, all the parties have to want to solve it. <laughs> yeah, there's no point otherwise, yeah? Otherwise, you walk into a minefield. The second is all of them have to be prepared to get a win-win, yeah, as far as possible. So is that you get that, right? You start, and then you go around to each individual and say, what do you want from this situation, whether you're working with people who are, you know, criminals or, you know, conflicting parties or whatever. And then you bring them together and you look at what everybody wants, and they want about 10 things. And then you look at what it is, what are the three things they want in common? Yeah. So let, and then you bring them together and say, as far as I understand it, you know, you want all these, but let's start with the three you want in common. Yeah. It's the whole idea of what's called the third side in, in, in mediation. You know, uh, the, the whole, it's the first side which says, I'm right, you're wrong. The second side says, I'm right, you're wrong. Mm, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> we need a third side. And the classic third side is when you were parents were divorcing with the kids and that kind of thing. And they say, we disagree about everything. So, well, are you sure? Do you agree about anything? No, no. Okay, do you want the best for your kids? Oh, that's the third side, yeah. Mm -hmm. What's the actual words you want kids saying in 10 years about how you manage this divorce? Let's write them up. Is that something you're prepared to work? Turn your chairs, is that something you're prepared to work towards? Yeah, great. But he won't know, women. Is that something you want to? Yeah. Yeah. So let's build on what we have in common rather than argue what's different. Most people, you see, Bear in mind that the positive majority of people in the world want similar things. Mm. They want to be loved, happy, successful, and find peace, whether they live in Russia, Bolivia, Britain, or anywhere. They want that. But what happens is the media gives lots of megaphones to the psychopathic minority who want to create problems. You see, and I was brought up with the together approach of life rather than the tribal approach. The together approach says if we're faced by challenges, we can only actually solve them if we work together and use our talents rather than try to blame each other for what's wrong. Yeah? Yeah. So you see, so if you're working towards that kind of positive approach of getting the picture of success, whether you're in a country, let's focus on what we all want. <laughs> yeah. Let's agree on the principles to get in there rather than say, actually, let's have fights about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's always that, and it's the same, you're coming back to the same idea of, of systems theory in the organic system. You build on the positive energy. <laughs> yeah. I suppose that could always, that could still be the case for Derby versus Nottingham Forest in the sense that it'd be very easy to be, to be tribal. I support them, you support them, but, that, but actually we're there together enjoying the, the atmosphere of, of a football match uh, the the competitiveness of a football match, the hamburger at half time, whatever. Well, I think I mean, in terms of, I grew up in Derby. I used to always go to Nottingham Forest and watch them. Uh, I watched them. Uh, uh, you, 
when they went up to the old first division and stuff and that kind of nothing of ours. And I used to just, you see, the interesting thing is that what you're doing is you're going into uh, sports like art. It takes you into a positive dimension. And I learned very early on, it's all about the experience of seeing life as it can be. Um, uh, and to give you, there is an old football book called by Arthur Upcroft called The Football Man. And he talked about the uh, spectators going to actually a match to get a glimpse of paradise. Uh, because you see something beautiful that lodges in your soul and you remember it. You can take it out like uh, a, a, a warm memory on cold nights. And, and you do that, you know, so for example, I used to go around watching great players. And, and, and so for example, when I was working in the early 60s, I was very interested in music and stuff. And I was very interested at the time. Early 60s. I went to Roy Orbison's first concert in Britain and, uh, and, and met him backstage and things like that. And was sitting with the Beatles and Jerry and the Pacemakers. And, and he was such a gentleman. Backstage, because I was invited, I asked him. He was to go to to his dressing room afterwards, and to you know, to say hello to him. You know, and, uh, and I, I tried to always make contact with people. Yeah, and say, is there can I learn from you? Yeah, uh, well, you know, let me ask you a few questions. And he was lovely, and so on. And, and watching great, great, and it's the same with these sages writing to them. And, and say, can I come and essentially ask you three questions, you know, which is, you know, what has helped me to grow most in your life? And how can we help people to grow? And how can we give people those senses of one, moments of a sense of wonder where they can get sort of enlightenment and then use it to grow in the future? And so I used to send that kind of letter and say, can I come and ask these questions and give me answers? <laughs> and it was fantastic. Well, I didn't ask him that, you know, but, uh, but I, I went to see him when he was on his first uh, tour here in the in the UK. Did you say to him, I, I drove all night to get here? Oh, no, no, that, that was, he wouldn't recognise that because he was, that's 30 or 40 years later. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's a, but it was a great adventure. I lived in Derby and I went, with, you know, to Hanley, was in Stoke with, and so, and on the bus. And it's great, you know, but it was wonderful to just go because essentially what the, what's, what's the wonderful thing about um, uh, teenage years and throughout life is the joy of pilgrimages. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, learning is a pilgrimage. Yeah, uh, and life is a pilgrimage. And okay, but again, you might get awareness, you might get enlightenment, but the crucial thing is how do you use it? How do you use it to help others succeed? Um, and so on. If we see what works, how do we, how do we put this in a package so that it can help how, uh, others? How can we give it away? Yeah, you know, Abraham Maslow did not copyright his pyramid of needs. Yeah, Victor Frankl did not copyright his idea of man's search for meaning and we're here to serve. You know, Carl Rogers did not copyright the idea of being human centered. So we can all do it. We can all do it, you know. Uh, Maria Montessori did not copyright the idea of going through the process of absorption, adventure, and achievement, and that kind of. Thing. So you you give them this stuff, and then you pass it on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mike, it's um, it, it's fascinating listening to you, and I love your approach, as as you know, and and many others do. I've I've just got one one sort of final question for you. Yeah. Um, and, and it's really about um, this this year and whether you have any predictions for 2021. <laughs> um, the only predictions I have is about what people can do internally. And um, we don't know what will happen on the outside uh, as a result of this. But you say to people, look, you know, your prediction is that you're going to be healthy if you focus on what are the three principles you want to follow in your life, right? to be kind, to be encouraging, to help others succeed, and to make the world a better place. If you follow those principles, all I can predict is you're more likely to live in good faith, and you're more likely to feel that actually you've done your best on the planet. But we don't know what will happen if you do follow those. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's what we don't know. Uh, but we fought, we're principles driven people. Yeah. You're, if you're a principles driven person, <clears throat> it's a bit like, you know, it, it's the thing of in sport, you know, with the whole idea of Bill Walsh's book, The Score Takes Care of Itself. And as you know, in sport, there are two views. One, that you try to be follow your principles and you'll be the best you can be. And the other is I try to win. <laughs> and if I win, I've got a W next to my name, but then I'm neurotic for the next time and I might lose. <laughs> so it's, I come obviously from the first tradition and there are principles driven people, there are prize driven people, and there are people who follow their principles and sometimes win prizes. Yeah? Uh, I'll advocate the third model. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Now, on your um, on your website, you've recently made available your your ebook. Yeah, and it's it's enormous. It's it's packed with fantastic information, and very generously, it's it's freely available. Is that right? Absolutely it is, yes. I mean, uh, the Positive Encourages book, uh, tried to put together there a lot of the things as I could that I've learned that work. Yeah? And whether that was working with teenagers, delinquents, or chief executives, the, the same thing really, uh, that kind of thing. So, and, and to pass on these knowledge and tools in a way so as people can use it in their way. Um, so yes, yeah, at the moment it's about 1,500 pages. <laughs> but people can download it and they can use it in their way. They can also not only download it from the site, they can also have the Word doc. Yeah? And uh, I, I can send it to them if they want, and people say, well, aren't you worried about it? I said, I'm not, I don't do copyright. <laughs> I don't do copyright. <laughs> Nobody said, this is a gene, we're going to copyright it so that we can't have another person. You know? <laughs> we hear, yeah, so it's just give it out there, for goodness sake. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, it's the art of, you know, generosity. If we've, if we've experienced the sense of generosity, we, we pass on. So, yeah, people can go up to the website, they can download it. I also got uh, people who are helping me who will actually, if necessary, can divide it into pieces. And if people want to use it on their websites, they can things, but I'm never going to change. I remember once <clears throat> when I was working in Sweden, I had somebody said, there's this guy, I was doing a course on strength for five days and somebody came and went and, and did a book, basically taking all the stuff and the, the person who was uh, give, give, uh, running the course says, my goodness, they've done everything. I said, it's fine, it doesn't matter. They've called it their own. It doesn't matter. I'm creative enough, I'll create something else. It doesn't matter because it doesn't belong to anybody. <laughs> yeah. You give it, yeah? Um, yeah. If a person wants to, if you're, if you're with a person and you want to encourage your child, your son, your daughter, and you give them, you encourage them, who does that belong to? Do you copyright it? No. It's a positive memory for life. So you just give it. Yeah. You don't say, okay, uh, before I encourage you, this is how much it's going to cost. Or this is the seat next to it. No. <laughs> you don't do that. <laughs> you just give. Because actually, the most brilliant memories we have for life are not copyrighted. No. And so on. And they don't belong to anybody, really. They're just warmth, which keeps us happy throughout our years. That's all. Yeah. That, that seems like a wonderful place to conclude for now. Well, we conclude, but we go onwards, don't we? Yes. Yes, it's a, it's a pause, isn't it? It's a pause. Yeah, finishing is another name for beginning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the time. Flow, focus, finish, find fulfillment, then flow again. <laughs> Your rule of threes. Uh, then I added a fourth one there. Oh, as a result, flow, focus, finish, and as a result, sometimes find fulfillment. <laughs> <laughs> but fulfillment is not the aim. <laughs> it's a byproduct. And I'll add a fifth, which will be fantastic. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> well, listen, Mike, I um, you know always massively appreciate your time and your your insights and and sharing. So. 
so thank you and, um, and maybe we'll um, we'll chat again um, down the line it'd be great to to do this again and explore some other things yes uh, and if people want some practical tools remember just go up to the website or email me and just say yeah i like practical tools on for example how to encourage myself, how to encourage other people, how to make, do satisfying work and get paid for it, how to build superb teams, how to build a great organization, and how to make my best contribution during my time on the planet. And I'll try to actually, what you'll find is, although that sounds kind of very flaky, you know, really, as you know, as you know, I'm not a hippie, I'm a militant hippie. So therefore, what it means is I'll say, let's be very practical here. What do you really want? Here's some tools yeah, that work. It's up to you. Which of those resonate? Now, let's build on those and help you to achieve your picture of success and do what you look at the positive things you want to give to people during your time on the planet. And let's do that. Brilliant. Brilliant. And so what um, the, your website address is? The positive encourager global. Hmm? That's easy, isn't it? And and all your contact details are on there. Yeah, or you just you can email at mikepeg uh, at me.com. That's that's the most simple. Brilliant. Okay. That's superb, Mike. Well, I hope you continue to have um, an excellent day. Absolutely. And um, you know, sometimes some people go from excellent to extraordinary, like you do on your ultra runs. <laughs> You haven't seen me at the end. It's exhausting. <laughs> uh, well, no, I, I, no I, I would say that isn't exhaustion. That's a picture of ecstasy on your face. Mm. <laughs> well, there are elements of that. There are elements of that, indeed. All right, Mike, take care. Great. You look after yourself, sir. Yeah,